Let's uh, take a moment to pray. Uh, Lord, we have come here because we are needy people. We can't handle life, ourselves, our relationships, our tasks, our families, our problems alone. Lord, we are here to crying out to you and calling on you because recognizing you've already called on us. You have already reached out to us and invited us and we're just saying, oh Lord, yes. We need your help. We need your gift of life in us. And so Lord, today let uh, the power of your Holy Spirit uh, flood us and fill us and may your word be deeply embedded in us and take root and grow and bear fruit. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. A number, uh, I don't know if you know this, but a number of scientific studies have been done about intercessory prayer. With intercessory means that you're praying for others. Uh, now many of these studies were what they call double blind studies. So the people being prayed for, they didn't know they were being prayed for or which group was being prayed for and which wasn't. And, and then even the doctors who were evaluating them didn't know which group was being prayed for and which wasn't. In addition to that, uh, the people who were praying had no relationship or contact with the people they were praying for. All they were given is sometimes a picture or a, a name and a, and a description of their condition uh, and they, they prayed for them. Now, what did those studies conclude? Uh, some studies indicated a a significant statistical, statistically significant health improvement in the prayed for group as compared to the control group. Other studies saw little or no difference between them. Got me to thinking what these studies cannot determine is God's willingness to participate in a study. Right? I mean, prayer is not some heavenly vending machine. This is God we're talking about. God is a person, makes decisions, has a will. God and prayer is a conversation with that person. Prayer is communion with our Creator. Now, when you were a kid, I'm sure that you experimented with prayer sometimes, right? Uh, you know, you wanted to see this really work. Uh, and so you pray, okay, God. I'm going to pray that uh, you make the rain go away so I can go outside and play. And then the rain stopped. And you decided that it was because you prayed and God did it. But of course, the rain always stops, right? Eventually. So was it God or not? Bolstered by your previous success, the next day you try to decide to get more specific with your prayer. Maybe it's raining again. You say, okay, God. Will you please make the rain stop by the time school gets out? Now you've put God on the clock. And sometimes the rain stops before school's dismissed, and sometimes it doesn't. And if you keep experimenting, you eventually come to some disappointment. You learn that uh, maybe your best friend may have to move away, and so you're desperately pr praying, oh, Lord, don't let my best friend move away. 
You pray with every ounce of faith that you've got inside you. But your friend moves away. Your grandma's in the hospital. And you ask God to make her better. And you even make a deal. Okay, God, if you make grandma get better, I'll stop using bad words, I promise. And grandma dies. So you conclude, okay, I'm done with prayer. Doesn't work. But a week later, you got a really bad ear infection, and it hurts really, really bad. It just makes you crying, and so you pray, okay, who knows, God, you can help me. Maybe you're listening this time. So from a young age, we like to believe in prayer, but we're also not quite sure about it. Today is the first Sunday of Lent, which uh, Lent is, I look at it as six weeks of spiritual growth leading up to Easter. And today we start a new series for Lent called Bold Praying, Bold Living. And most of us are using a uh, guidebook called The Intercessory Life. Uh, we found out you know, after Wednesday at our Ash Wednesday service, we sold out of the book. We, I mean, we didn't expect them to go so fast. But We've got, the best way for you is to, we've got a website for you uh, that you can order a copy or download a digital version so you can have it right away. Uh, now, in day two of, of the book, The Intercessory Life, the author, Maxie Dunham, says this. He says, prayer is a lot of things. It's praise and thanksgiving. It's, it's confession and contemplation. It's communion, simply being with Christ. But at the core of it is petition and intercession. What is, what is that? Petition is simply a request. We ask for something. When we, when we make a petition for someone else, we're interceding for them. So to intercede means that you stand between. Uh, so we stand between that person we're praying for and God. We hold in one in each hand in our prayer and we ask on their behalf. Prayer and intercession are grounded in two simple truths. First, God is a good listener. God is paying attention in your life. Jesus says that God knows the number of hairs on your head. He listens to your prayers. He listens to your heart. He listens to your desires. He listens to your pain. And secondly, God is a good giver. The Bible says that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father. All the good that's in your life begins with God. Jesus says God is like a parent who gives good gifts to his children who ask. So because of this, Jesus teaches us to be daring in our asking. All right? Be daring in our asking. Let's open our Bibles to uh, Mark chapter 11. Uh, if you're using the Pew Bibles on page 1015, uh, which is uh, not quite the time, so almost 1115, never mind. 1015, uh, before this, Jesus and his disciples, before we get to verse 22, Jesus and his disciples have spent the uh, night in Bethany, a small town outside of Jerusalem, 
which was kind of nice because during Passover, you know, Jerusalem is just so crowded. Um, they have, probably have friends in Bethany that they stay with. And the next morning as they're leaving the village, heading to Jerusalem, uh, they're walking and, you know, Jesus is hungry and he sees a fig tree and he's hoping to pluck a piece of fruit, something to have for breakfast. But there's no fruit on that tree. So Jesus curses the tree, which seems like an odd thing to do, doesn't it? What did it you know, nothing, did the tree do anything wrong? But Jesus curses the tree and he says, May no one eat fruit from you again. Well, I think this was an object lesson for the disciples about the temple because they're on their way to the temple and when they arrive there uh, that, uh, that morning, they, they find that the temple is kind of like that fruitless tree. And so Jesus, he kind of gets a little upset and he starts, you know, knocking over the tables of the money changers and he drives out the animals and he, and he drives away the money changers and, and, uh, and he says that they have turned this house of prayer into a den of robbers. That evening, Jesus and his disciples returned to Bethany and his disciples are shocked to see that cursed fig tree. It is all withered. Just like the temple. Anyway, they ask Jesus about it. And here's where we pick up the conversation in verse 22. You with me? Okay. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go, throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. So I think Jesus is teaching us to be bold in our praying, but we also have to be careful. Uh, because Jesus isn't saying that if you go out to Colorado and you have enough faith, you can level Pike's Peak. I don't think he's saying that. Because we never find in the Bible Jesus or disciples or anyone else actually tell a mountain to go throw itself into the sea. And as far as I know, no one who's ever tried it since has been successful. Jesus was using a rhetorical device called hyperbole, where you exaggerate to make a point. Later, the Apostle Paul used that same kind of image when, um, when, he, when he says this. He says, remember this? If I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. Now, Paul doesn't claim to have literal, you know, mountain-moving faith. But he's making a point. Now, Jesus' disciples also know that mountains are sometimes symbolic of spiritual barriers. Spiritual barriers. Uh, John, John was Jesus the Baptist's cousin. John the, I'm sorry, did I say Jesus the Baptist? John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. There we go. And he was a prophet who paved the way for Jesus. John said he was just out there fulfilling what the, the prophet Isaiah had said centuries earlier. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in. Every mountain and hill make low. Made low. What's he talking about? Talking about repentance. 
He's saying he's talking about altering the moral and spiritual terrain of our lives. Valleys are things that we don't put enough value on and need to be elevated. Mountains are things that we make way too important and they need to be brought down. And Jesus is telling us to ask boldly. Here's what he says in verse 24. You with me? Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Now that's bold, isn't it? That is bold. Now I, I got to warn you about teachers who will pluck this verse out of context and say that Jesus is promising that you can get anything you want. I mean, you want to own the biggest house in Omaha? Ask for it. Believe you have received it, and it'll be yours. There are people who teach that. Beware of preachers who use a verse like this uh, as a guarantee of wealth and health. Uh, they, they'll, they'll say, you want to be healed of that head cold? Ask in prayer. Believe that it's already happened, and your cold will instantly be gone. If you take Mark eleven twenty four 24 in isolation, out of context, that's where it'll lead you, and a lot of people have shipwrecked their faith doing that. Jesus has already taught his disciples to pray to the Father, your will be done. And then later, uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus himself was going to pray, not my will, but your will be done. And every day in between, Jesus is teaching his disciples about God's will, what God wants. And he wants them to learn to ask in accordance with God's will. Find the same thing uh, in, in 1 John 5, verses 14 and 15, uh, part of what the first scripture Laura read for us. Now, you'll see the scripture on the screen, and I'm going to ask you to say the words in red. All right, so be ready. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of Him. And of course, the big qualifier is the, is the phrase you said, according to His will. And I got to tell you, I don't know everything about God's will. I mean, there's a lot I'm learning, but it's always, I think, going to be somewhat of a mystery. I'm, I'm you know, kind of hit and miss with it in some areas. Uh, but they, I do believe that there are things about God's will that we never receive because we do not ask. There are many things that are in accordance with God's will that we never receive because we do not ask. And Jesus is the one who teaches us how to ask according to God's will. I want you to know that when it comes to praying, there's no secret formula to it. There's no really set of words that you can, you know, borrow from somebody else. And if you use this kind of exact phraseology, then it's going to make everything work. It's not like that. Prayer begins by simply believing that God is a good listener and a good giver. It's trusting the promise that our prayers, imperfect as they are, are used by God to let his blessings flow. 
Let's say that you're a, a small group leader in children's ministry and uh, it's Saturday evening and you've not looked over any of the stuff yet. You know, you've, you've got about 25 minutes you know you're going to have with the kids on Sunday morning. But, so you open the material and you look at the questions and all of a sudden you feel this panic in your heart. Have any of you in, in children's ministry, have you ever felt that? All right, you, you start to feel this, this panic. Oh no, what am I going to do? These questions aren't very good. They're not going to work with my group. And so you ask God. You say, oh Lord, you've got to help me come up with some different kind of questions that are really going to connect with this group of kids. And you pray for these kids that God will work deeply in their hearts and in their lives. Now I'd say that's the kind of prayer that's in accordance with God's will, wouldn't you? I mean, I really wouldn't have a lot of question about that. I would pretty much know that's the kind of prayer that God would be part of God's will. And, and I also think that praying like that boosts your faith that God's going to help you. Going to come up with some of those questions you're going to need. And Sunday morning, you're going to be watching for some of those signs among the kids uh, of how God is at work in their hearts and their lives so you can encourage that. If you're a small group leader, either for, for kids or for students or adults, I want you to know that praying for them is the biggest thing you can do. It's not leading the session. Praying for them is the biggest thing you can do. Ask God to do in your group uh, what only God can do. Sometimes I think we get daring in our prayers just because we're desperate, and that's not a bad thing. I think sometimes it's good to be desperate. Maybe uh, you have a, a child or a grandchild whose life just seems to be running off the rails and they seem like they've given up on God. They're they, hanging out with a group that's, you know, kind of having a really bad influence. They, they, they're starting to develop what might be an addiction. Who knows? And so you, you pour out your soul before the Lord. Oh, Lord, you've got to do something. You intercede on their behalf. You, you pray for God to keep his grip on them even when they seem so lost. You pray for God, put good people in their path, put, put good circumstances in their path. And you pray that God will rescue them and save them in all the ways that they need saving. And I want you to know, you don't have to be good at praying to pray like that. Right? But you have to believe that God's listening and that he lets your prayers make a difference. A friend of mine from college, I'll call her Liz. She lives in Texas now. Uh, I haven't seen her in decades, but um, she befriended me uh, in Facebook a while back. And anyway, she got a call from her son about 2 a.m. on Saturday morning. And... Uh, she learned that the best man in her son's upcoming wedding had been shot and killed. Wow. Now, I don't spend a, very much time on Facebook, but I, I did happen to see her post, and I put in a comment that I was praying. And I want to also tell you that Liz, she didn't, when we were in college, she didn't have a relationship with Jesus. One day she, uh, she and I had a kind of a long conversation and she opened up about some things going on in her life and, and uh, we were sitting out in front of her apartment outside 
And, uh, and at one point I said, asked her if I could pray for her. And so I did. We, just, we were sitting there. There's about three steps between the sidewalk and the street. <laughs> and we were sitting there and I prayed for her. And uh, after I finished praying, she was smiling. She said no one had ever prayed for her before, at least not while she was there listening. Anyway, then a few years ago, when uh, we became friends on Facebook, I could tell by her post that she had come to know Jesus and was, was uh, following him. And then I, I also noticed on the post, and since then a lot of uh, her, her friends said that they would be praying for, um, for her son and her son's best friend's parents as well. And, and I did too. I, I prayed, I prayed a number of times since hearing about that. But um, I also recognized, what do I say to God? What, what do I say? How do I pray about this? You know, sometimes I'm just like you. I feel lost and knowing what to say. But I just try. I just do my best. And, and uh, here's what I think it comes down to. I dare to pray boldly, not because I am a good prayer, but because God is a good listener and a good giver. Does that make sense? Let's, let's say that together, shall we? I dare to pray boldly, not because I am a good prayer, but because God is a good listener and a good giver. That is such a relief to me that I don't have to be a really good prayer. But I have to dare to pray. I have to dare to pray boldly. I have to pray with desire. I mean, it can't be just something that doesn't mean anything to me. I have to pray with desire. Uh, many times I have to pray with persistence. And I have to pray believing that God is listening and that God is a good giver. Now, I'm sure not all of you have heard yet, but um, one of our former staff members at Faith Westwood um, died. Edna Fleming, on Thursday morning, went to be with the Lord. It was just about a year ago that she retired Edna is the third or maybe fourth staff member I've had since I've been here at Faith Westwood who's been diagnosed with breast cancer. Uh, the others are survivors, but Edna did not survive. And I cannot tell you why. Many of us prayed for her healing. And, and she did have, though, a period of time following her surgery where she was able to live well. And we're thankful for that. The last time I visited with Edna was um, two weeks ago today, and she was at Hospice House. At that time, she could barely see anything. She was very weak, but for those few minutes, she was alert. Uh, her mind was clear. I knew I shouldn't stay too long because she would get weary soon. And after we talked for a little while, I asked if I could pray. And she answered by raising her right arm. And she took my hand. And I spoke a prayer. 
And I could tell every moment by the grip of her hand that she was praying with me that whole time. I had to tell you, Edna had such faith, such confidence in God. I don't always get what I pray for. Sometimes I have to wait. Sometimes I have to change what I'm praying for. Sometimes I have to ask God, what do, what do you want me to be praying for about this? But I dare to pray. Not because I'm good at it, but because God is good. Now, in your, in your uh, pew rack in front of you, you'll find some index cards, hopefully. You kind of reach around, you can find some. Uh, index cards. And I want you everybody to grab one, would you? Just everybody grab an index card. Grab, find a pen there if you can or share one if you need to. Um, in a little bit, I'm going to ask you to, to uh, write down an intercessory prayer. That is a short, simple, bold request for someone else. Now, if you're praying for someone with a health issue, you can certainly ask for physical healing, but I'm going to ask you to let the, your intercessory prayer be about more than that. Let it also, uh, you might pray for, this, for God to speak to this person, uh, that Jesus would reveal himself to them, that they would be strong in faith and not give up. Maybe that there would be a healing in a relationship as well in their lives. So here's what we're going to do. While you are in your, while you're seated, waiting to receive communion, I'm going to ask you to be praying about this, kind of seeking the Lord about who you might be praying for and write that bold prayer. Or maybe you're going to come up with, for communion and kind of make, kind of be seeking the Lord about that. Or after you return to your seat, however it is, but by the time we all get done with communion, I'm hoping everyone, if possible, can have this, think of someone that you can that you can have a bold prayer for them that you would write on this card and then you can take this card home with you. Uh, okay, let's, uh, let's pray. Lord, um, it's sometimes easy for us to be pretty apathetic about our prayers. Um, we sort of give up hope easily. We, we want to pray, but we don't know how much confidence to have in our prayers. And so, Lord, let us not have so much confidence in ourselves, but more confidence in you. That uh, you are a good listener, you're a good giver, and, Lord, we can leave the results to you, trusting that you are at work, and that you somehow may let our prayers be a part of the difference, the equation of grace in this world. And so, Lord, that's what we're believing. That's what we're trusting in you today. Amen.